Today in Agronomy on KFILAM AM 1060 with Pioneer Field Agronomist Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner. Here's Josh and Allie. Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. Today is May 19th, 2021. Josh, this is episode number 71. So we took a quick break last week. Things have been busy, really busy, as I'm sure everyone is feeling, has been feeling. We've worked in another compressed planning window yet this year. Um, but obviously some interesting things to look at as we moved into this week. Um, a lot of corn has emerged last week into this week. So there are many, many assessments to make and just a lot of different factors that are contributing um, to differences in stand across the area, specifically in corn. Um, obviously, a lot of observations in beans too and more information on those to come. But I think before we kind of jump too far into this, just a quick update on where we're sitting GDU-wise and how some of these factors are definitely contributing to what we're seeing stand-wise across the area. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a slow GDU year. Uh, I, I don't think that probably is a surprise when you, you think about kind of um, the way the season has been. It's been unique, Allie. You think back, we started planting, um, you know, some of the earliest corn we saw planted goes all the way back to April 5th, which not very much. Some people are just maybe practicing with some new planters and things like that. And then we kind of really fired off there around the, you know, April, you know, 15th, I guess, would probably be when a lot of guys really got going. And in, in, in just doing that, Allie, we're kind of sitting it ranges across Southeast Minnesota. I would say, you know, since April 15th, 17th, we're ranging from, um, you know, around 145 to 180, just depending on where you're at there is going to cover a lot of it. And, and when you kind of look back, it's like, okay, how have we done per day? If we go back to, to April 18th or April 15th, we've only averaged about 5.8 GDUs per day, which if you really think about that, that's pretty putrid accumulation over time, especially when there's, there's, there's 18 days of May in that. And I think overall, Ellie, um, you know, the corn crop shows that it's taken a long time to get this crop emerged and and uh, we've had some challenges along the way. Yeah. So as you, as you look at as we're out in these cornfields, obviously these plants, we're seeing a lot of healthy plants that had just been sitting right at the surface there. Um, but because like we're talking about, they've been in the ground so long, they were just starting to run out of steam, unfortunately, in, in some cases, you know, we feel confident a lot of those will make it. But that's why so many assessments um, have been made. Um, I know you're working with a few different issues um, to the east in in contribution with some of the cold. To the west, I definitely look at, you mentioned just the dry 2020 spring. For me, that's relating back to the fact that we're not having microbe activity to break down um, or in the soil moisture to break down that residue. So, um, you know, we talk about the largely fit conditions that we had early planting, really nice to see. But kind of that no such thing as a free lunch concept, that's where it comes back to. In the absence of moisture, we've just got um, a lot of lack of breakdown of residue. And so I'm definitely seeing um, variableness between corn on corn, corn on beans, and how much residue um, is coming into play. But as we move back east of 52, Josh, maybe just an explanation of, of the unique things that you've been working with over there. Yeah, the, the rotary hole hotline has been working overtime uh, the last uh, 10 days or so, that is for sure. And, and um, you know, it, it is very different east-west. Um, you know, I think we all had equally great planting conditions. And I think we'll remember this planting season as, man, we planted in some of the best soil conditions we've ever had. But it was so unique. It's just so rare to be as dry and fit as we were, but to be as cold as we were. It's just something that a combination we don't normally see a lot of times where we're warm and with great conditions or warm and wet or cool and wet it's very often to see um, a cold of a spring like this to be that dry and I think it, it just it, it's a frustrating deal where you're talking about the residue challenges which we're seeing to these two we're talking about other things and um, you know you put all this together so I, I think we'll 
you know, we're just going to be, there's some good stands out there, but I think for the conditions we planted in, a lot of us going to be disappointed that it's not more perfect, you know, just because of how great it was. But the, yeah, um, the rains we had there uh, a few Sundays ago, uh, you know, range anywhere from probably an inch up to, to close to four inches across uh, the Southeast corner. And, and we talked about it all spring alley, if for how mellow and great these soil conditions were, if we were to get a pounding rain, we knew we were going to have issues with crusting. And this has been a very unique crust. Um, I've kind of coined it the cold weather crust where you know, a lot of times when we get crust, we get a pounding rain, we get sunny, we get hot, and it kind of just turns to concrete. Uh, this was a little bit different where we got that pounding rain, but it stayed really cold. Uh, the crust took a little while to form. It's a very fragile crust. So the one thing that's nice is where we are rotary hoeing, we're really just exploding and shattering the crust where the rotary hoe is doing what it's designed to do. And we've saved a lot of plants. Uh, with that said, you know, we had some people still yesterday and, uh, you know, hopefully the moisture we're receiving here will alleviate a lot of this stress here. Um, but yeah, just been a challenge. Uh, had to take a lot of scouting and, and I think the rotary hoe is going to save a lot of stands, uh, not going to maybe make them perfect. Um, but definitely, you know, in some cases we're probably going to see, you know, an increase to uh, five to 8,000 plants per acre, which is going to have a, a big difference uh, when the combine rolls this fall. Yeah, absolutely. And so with some of these variables, we've had a lot of discussions on, you know, there's a lot of debate about the number of hours plants within a row should emerge. Um, my take would be that dealing with the conditions we've had being as it's a cooler spring, I would say there's more margin of error than versus a warmer spring. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we read about that, you know, can we get all the plants to merge within a close time frame? It'd be great, but we're also in Minnesota. Um, that's always going to be a challenge to do where, where early planning tends to trump that method a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're going to see some variability emergence. I think a lot of it's going to stay within a collar alley. We may see some stuff uh, that gets close to collar, but if we can keep it all within one collar, not going to be a big deal, which I think a lot of it will be. Uh, so don't stress if you have some up, some not up. You know, if we stay within two collars, it won't be a big thing. And Allie, when you come out of break, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about conditions and the state of the soybean crop and uh, a few other notes from the field. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, Allie, we kind of talked about a lot of the challenges that uh, you and I have been buzzing around looking at fields here the last two weeks and talked about the crusting and and some of the, the residue challenges, especially on the corn on corn acres. And in some case, even, um, you know, where we did a little bit of no-till corn on beans, you know, just to even fighting some of the two-year-old residue out there, but just a lot of residue in general. Uh, we talked a little bit about the reduced stands from crusting, and one question that's came up a lot, Allie, at this stage of the game, it's not super late if we were to have to replant. You know, we're sitting here, you know, May 19th. However, you know, when we do look at a replanting chart and what is an acceptable final stand in corn, why don't we walk through uh, some of the, you know, final stand counts and verse planting dates and, and kind of what that threshold should be if we should consider replant corn or not to consider a replant. Yeah, so a few considerations here, but I think the number one thing we need to remember is that planting date is still working in our favor tremendously. So the bulk of our corn was planted before April 25th. So if we look at dates before April 25th, even if our stand would be down to 20, say 25,000 in this case, we're still at about 90% potential of the yield in that field. Um, so obviously you're starting to get down to some lower numbers. But so even if we're down to 25,000, let's say we felt we were at a point that we wanted to come back um, and replant. At this point, as soon as we'd get in the field would be probably after that May 20th planting date. Even if we were to come back now, replant, get a perfect stand of say 35,000, we would still only be capturing 88% of the yield potential. So we're at least 10% off with, with the yield potential we're working with this year. Like you and I had talked, that could correlate to at least 20 bushels. So theoretically, you know, we could even 
be down in the range of 20 to 24,000 um, in the case of this year with planning dates working in our favor before we would be at a point um, to be considering replant. Um, any any additional thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. My take on that, especially as we were looking uh, early this week and last week, is you know anything 24,000 above, we're not even gonna even we're not even gonna talk about replant. You know, when you get from 20 to 24, you know, that's kind of a, you can maybe toss that one around, have a discussion. As we start falling below 20, that's where I'd be pretty concerned and say, you know, we might be better off, um, you know, maybe looking at a replant situation. Um, in most cases, I, I really, you know, I, I like to avoid that replant. Usually it just seems like um, that early planting date trumps, you know, replanting if it gets good stands, but there are situations where, you know, right or wrong, we just don't want to stare at a poor stand. We'd rather get it replanted and, and get it up there. And sometimes we just do it for the sake of not having to look at it. It's not the right thing to do. Usually when you look at the, the metrics and, uh, you know, we look at a lot of early planning date, uh, you know, information every year, Allie, and uh, we always see lower stands in those early planning dates. But if that's putting more bushels in the bin and returning more income per acre, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So ultimately, like I said, I'm just looking at we know timely planting is well correlated to some of the greatest yield potential for both both corn and soybeans. So that's kind of, you know, why we maybe have those talking points that we do at this state of time. Um, a little bit of a shift here to beans. Beans can be a little bit more forgiving. Um, there's not necessarily significant issues unless, you know, we have a lot of cases where some of these beans are sitting in dry soil. Maybe they are planted a little too deep and the hypocotyl, um, you know, can't get those cotyledons pushed through. Or in some cases with those shallower planting depth or we were just riding across the surface really with the residue working against us, we have a lot of seeds that haven't germinated there. So as we shift focus to soybeans from a replant consideration um, standpoint, you know, I always think in my head 90,000 plants correlates to 90% of yield. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And that's that's always a number I like to look at. 90,000 above, I won't even consider replant. I usually don't consider even putting some supplemental population back out there. Uh, it's once we we fall below 90, uh, that can tail off really quick. The worst thing, Allie, is when you get like an 85, it's like, what do I do? Yeah, those are the ones where sometimes they're kind of coin flip situations, right? It's hard to predict what it'll, what it'll be, but um, that 90 number is the cutoff. And then anything below that alley, that's that's where you have a discussion with, with you know, someone like, you, you know, yourself or myself or your, your cedar up agronomist and kind of you know, go through the pros and cons of what we should do there if we should take a look at it. In most cases, the beans don't want to tear them up. You should just go back out there and plant more in with the corn planter. Or um, I prefer to use 30 inch rows even if they're drilled at this point, just because we can, you know, still save some of those early planted ones. But, uh, but yeah, they've been fighting the crust too, Alley. And, um, you know, it's been beans are they're kind of friendly when to the neighbors. But if you ever want to see how powerful they are, if you want to see some slabs of dirt getting pushed up, if you drove around this week, you saw some funny things popping up in fields that with the dirt. It's like, what's going on there? It's actually the beans trying to trying to find the way to sunlight, but uh, they, they're definitely doing some work as well. Yeah, I think that's been a commonality. If we look at our um, assessments so far between drills, be, drilled beans and those planted in 30-inch rows with a corn planter, there certainly are a few differences there. For one, you look at residue management between a drill and a corn planter, obviously a lot more control with the planter, which can help tremendously, especially when we're talking about the differences in residue that we are this year. And then you also look at, like you said, the power of 30-inch rows with those, you know, the plant-to-plant -plant spacing, those plants being able to work together to push themselves through versus in a drill, you get a little bit more sporadic. So they just don't work as a group as well to push themselves up and out of the ground. So certainly a lot of assessments to make yet in that arena, Josh. Um, you know, another just quick thing 
I've been seeing a few kind of weeds starting to pop through. A few folks are thinking, you know, when should I start to consider maybe some of my post or earlier post applications? Yeah, I think as soon as we get through uh, this rain period here, uh, weeds are starting to germ. We get, you know, the moisture here, um, warmer temps are going to come quick. But uh, as soon as we get right up here, I do some scouting. I think, uh, you know, some of these corn acres will be ready to uh, to roll early post right away. Uh, With that, uh, Allie, that's a wrap for this week. And we'll be back next week. and We'll probably talk a whole lot more things and probably weed control will be front and center. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner to submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060.